morning, guys. Good morning. Oh, that's good. Now, my name is Tommy. I'm a pastor here at this place. Uh, by the way, if some of you feel like there's too many people in this room right now, I want to invite you to a, another church that meets in here at 9 o'clock. Uh, it's called Grace at 9 o'clock. <laughs> ample space uh, so you can, you know, sit wherever you want. Um, anywho, how are y'all? Everybody good? All right. Oh, we start a new series today. That's what we're doing. That's good. Uh, I'm excited about this. Multiply by the voice on that video y'all heard a minute ago was Francis Chan, who is the greatest pastor to ever live, period. There's no debate. Y'all know those things I do on Facebook where we all agree on things? Have y'all seen those? This one would surely win. Like, I really thought fall was a no-brainer. I mean, and then I said, Nickelback is not a good band. I thought that was a no-brainer. I even got someone arguing with me about that. I digress. Um, what am I talking about? Oh, yeah. Multiply. New series starts today, and I love it, man. When we did Experiencing God together uh, last year, um, like we had 330 people go through that together in groups. That's phenomenal. Lives were changed. Families were changed. Marriages were changed. The community was changed. Uh, we've been doing more in missions than ever because of that. That was a catalyst for what we've experienced, and we're believing the same thing is going to happen with this. That as we band together in groups, or, or maybe just you and your spouse, or you and your family, or you and your best friend, or whatever, but as we band together and go through this study together, we're believing that lives are going to change. Amen? All right, so I was thinking about this this week. I get a lot of questions from people about grace. They'll call the church, and they'll talk to Amber, and then they'll talk to me, or whatever, and they want to ask me questions about our church. I remember specifically one time I went to lunch with these two dudes, and they're great guys, and um, they wanted to ask me questions about grace. And so we're sitting there, and we're, we're at the Torito, Los Toritos, which means the Toritos. We're there, and we're having lunch, and we're just enjoying ourselves. And, and they're asking me all these questions about grace, right? And, and they're like, well, so tell me about your student program. And so I told him about, you know, Stu and what he's doing and all the cool stuff. Tell me about your kids. And so I told him about Deb and all this, you know, stuff going on with that. And, and then it was like, well, tell me about what you offer for adults or couples or singles. And so I answered probably 20 to 25 questions. And the heart of all these questions, I mean, these guys aren't bad, but the heart of all these questions was, what will grace do for me, right? I mean, so I'm, I'm asking, and so I'm answering, I'm real honest, and at the end of their 25 questions about what grace could do for them, I said, all right, now I've got a question for you. And they're like, what's that? I said, what are you going to do for grace? And I'm not kidding. You, you feel that? That's how it felt at the table. Like, it was silent. And the guy looked at me and said, no pastor has ever asked me that. And I said, I wonder why not? Because they all wanted to. Because that's the truth, right? I mean, but it was like, what are you going to do for me? What are you? And I was like, no, no, what are you going to do for the church? If this is an interview, let's do this, you know, let's both interview, you know. But it's like, that's the kind of questions we ask. What's your children's program? And those are important. Every question they asked was an important question. But I've been doing this for like 12 years now. And do you know what no one has ever asked me in 12 years? The one question no one has ever asked is this. Does your church make disciples? No one has ever asked me that. They've asked me about programming. They've asked me about stuff. But no one has ever asked that question that way. Does your church make disciples? And the more I'm reading and the more I'm thinking and the more I'm growing and the more, the more you're reading and thinking and growing, I think the more we're arriving collectively at the conclusion that that should be the most important question we ask in a church. 
Not the last question. All those other things are good, but if we're not making disciples, then nothing else we're doing matters. Why, didn't, why don't people ask that question? I've got a theory. Because disciple-making is hard, right? It's, it's tough. It's not always pretty. And if I come to a church that's all about disciple-making, then I have picked hard church when, when I really wanted was easy church. And hard church is by nature hard. And so there's, there's this verse in the Bible, and I think this is really cool. It says in Matthew 16, 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. He says you've got to take up your cross. And Jesus is talking to people in a place, in a time where the cross had meaning. Like when they had crosses hanging around like this, it wasn't an object of worship. It was an object of fear. Remember, the, the Jewish people were under Roman occupation and Roman oppression, and they were using the cross to crucify and to torment and to scare people. So when Jesus looks at his boys and says, you want to follow me? You've got to take up your cross. Don't you know half of them were like, um, is there another church in this community? Maybe they got a gym or something? A basketball league? I mean, wouldn't you, if you're honest, take up your cross? I mean, imagine this was what our shirt said. I mean, y- y'all remember the Apostle Paul in the Bible? Paul, he's talking and he's like, I was shipwrecked three times and I was beaten and I was thrown in prison. And, and you know, and men laid down their lives for Christ and they've died. And, and I've been uh, tortured and abused and all these sorts of things. So join me. First of all, that's a really long t-shirt, but a lot of commas. I think. I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, really, what, what's our, like, come join me and take up your cross and follow me. Like, I should do a Facebook Live that says, hey, this week, you're going to be asked to come to grace and take up your cross and suffer for Christ. You know what it would look like? Nine o'clock. <laughs> Matter of fact, did I accidentally say that and only nine o'clock people heard it? <laughs> like, Really? going on? Hey, but you seven at nine, I love you. It's like, I mean, it's tough, right? Making disciples is hard, and so we don't really want to do it, but this is what we're going to do. We're going to become this place, and and so we're going to take this journey together with this book, Multiply, and I know that not everyone is ready for this. I get that. I know that not everyone is ready, and so you are invited to come and observe, even if you're not ready to take this journey. And my hope is in my prayer, and what should happen is, as you're observing, you should see people who are taking this journey, and what you should see in their lives is life change that's so substantial, the power of the living God is undeniable inside of them. And so if you want to sit on the sidelines and watch, I don't blame you. Check it out. But by the, word, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimonies, we will overcome. And you might just end up seeing a people who are actually living what we've been talking about. So if we're going to be a church that makes disciples, the first question we should have is this. What is a disciple? All right, so let's go to Matthew 28, 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee. To, by, by the way, this, this is written... You always got, this is written after Jesus Christ has been crucified, after he's resurrected, and after he's hung out with a whole bunch of people for like 30, 60, I don't remember, a long time, right? 
And so this is written after that. So it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Of course they did. But some doubted. Of course. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even until the end of the age. All right. So imagine Jesus was up here preaching today. And, and so, like, I mean, we believe the Holy Spirit is in here and empowering us and moving through us. But imagine Christ in the flesh was standing here. And he looked at the crowd out here and he said, all right, I want you to go make disciples. And then he ascended. What would we do? I think it would look like this. Right? I mean, kind of like, you know, kind of like I used to do when a fight broke out in high school. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's kind of what I did. And that's what we do, because nobody would really know exactly what to do. So here's what we would do. Here's what, because we're, we're good church people, if Jesus showed up here and said, I want you to go make disciples and baptize them, and the Holy Spirit is with you, you know what we would do? We would form a committee, and we would argue about what he meant. Am I right, Tim? Am I right? That's what we would do. We would form a committee, and first we would say, okay, now he said baptize. Does that need to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Can you sprinkle it? Like, what exactly did he mean? And so we would spend a tremendous amount of time arguing about what Jesus meant. By, matter of fact, we would divide, wouldn't we? This has happened. And then once we got done with that argument, we go, well, which commands exactly does he want us to obey? Because I remember on page three of Genesis, you're not supposed to eat fish on Sunday. Or, I mean, we just, silliness. We would argue about what we should obey and what we shouldn't. And then we would get to the Holy Spirit. Whew, and then we'd really argue. What's the Holy Spirit? What's not? What gifts exist? What don't? You know, is this the Holy Spirit? Is that blah, 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 blah? And we would argue, 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 argue. What we wouldn't do is go and make disciples. But for the people Jesus was talking to at the time when he said this, it seemed really clear, like they seemed to get it. As a matter of fact, he said, I want you guys to go back and wait for the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria to the ends of the earth. But when Jesus would walk up to someone and ask them to be a disciple, he would always use two words. Does anyone know what those two words are? Follow me. It's not a library. Follow me. Follow me. And they seem to understand that. And I believe that in our hearts, we understand that. As a matter of fact, I've asked some volunteers. Liz, you and Connor come up here. Give it up for Liz and Connor, by the way. So I, I just want to see if we really do have a collective understanding of this term, follow me. All right, you're right. you guys stand right here, sort of side by side. By the way, they're, they're mother and son. Can you all tell? Just a little bit. All right, so... I'm going to give you a direction now. Y'all ready? Follow me. Come on. <laughs> good job. Good. All right, give it up. Give it up for Liz and Connor. Good job. Good job. Good job. Great. 
Okay, now, I, I'm not a brain surgeon, although I am a good dancer. <laughs> who, who is my follower out of Liz and Connor? Well, how do you know? Well, I mean, really, how do you know who was my follower? One of them was actually following me. Now, Liz was on the stage. She's even wearing a gray shirt. I mean, and so Liz could say, I'm reading a book about following you. She could say, I'm sitting with my friends and I'm talking about following you. Um, she could go around and say, I believe in you. She could say all sorts of things. But who was the follower, Connor, and how do you know? Because he was this is not really that complicated, is it? I mean, it's incredibly difficult, but it's super simple to understand. It's difficult to live. It's easy to understand. The one who was following was the one who was following. And like, I, I, don't, think, I don't think that's what we want sometimes. Like, we, we want to go, and maybe, maybe y'all were raised in the church, like, like you know, where it was just come to the altar, come to the altar, come to the altar and make your decision. And so you would come to the altar, and the basic understanding was that once you got to the altar and you made this decision, that everything in your world was going to get better, right? Anybody hear this line? You know, just come to the altar. And so you come to the altar, and you're like, oh, God, I love you. I give you my life. And now I'm going to get up from the altar. I'm going back to the same bar with the same people at the same place and doing the same things with the same mindset. And God's like, well, how's that working out for you? What's the problem with that? I, I said some things to him, but I'm not following him. And just because you made a decision at altar doesn't mean God sprinkles pixie dust on you and goes, I'll handle everything from here out. You just do whatever you want to do. I mean, that's not the reality, is it? It's not the reality that I experienced. God wants you to follow him. To make a decision that leads to a way of life. And biblically speaking, if we're following Jesus, then we should end up looking like Jesus. Luke 6.40 says, The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. So we are imitating him for the purpose of becoming like him so that we might go in the world and be like him so that others might see him in us and that others would become like him and imitate him. And it, it, it replicates. We get to know Jesus. We make that decision. We follow him. We become like him. Others see him in us and then others become like him. And that is the plan. It's not just to, to call yourself something. It's not just to say, although those things are important. The altar moment is important. Don't, don't hear, it's important. But you've got to get up from that and follow. Or you're missing out on what life was meant to be. Jesus doesn't just say, wear my name and then do whatever you want. Follow. Like if I, if I tell you to go to Los Toritos and you go to Hibachi Box, you, you did not follow me. We both got a stomachache, but we got it in two different directions, right? There's a way to do this. Although I love both those places, so... So how? That's what a disciple is. A disciple is one who follows Jesus. How do I become that? Matthew 4, 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Hey, real quick. Oh, leave that verse up there. Are any of y'all watching the Chosen series? Anybody watch that? Yeah, you can clap for that. It's really good. Hey, if you're not, watch it. 
Like, it is so good. It's free. Uh, if you don't know how to get it on your phone or whatever, uh, Katie Neal will come to each one of your houses individually, <laughs> program it on your stuff. But, like, it is awesome. And they got season two. All right, so check that out. Matthew 4, 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their net and they followed him. Okay, there, there's some important stuff going on in this passage. Jesus comes up to these dudes who are out fishing, right? They're fishermen. That's what fishermen do. And he says something in the first line. There's three words. I want you guys to read it. What's the, what's the first three words in the first line says? Okay. Now, look what they did. In the last line of that paragraph, they left their nets. And what are the last two words? Followed him. I'm seeing a trend. Jesus comes to these guys. They're doing this. They're looking this direction. These guys have agendas. They have lives. It's not like they're doing anything bad, right? They're fishing. Um, fishing is good. Everyone knows that. And so they're, they're, they're just doing their thing, right? And they've got an agenda, and they've got relationships, and they've got all these things. Are we getting a phone call right now? I was going to answer it. <laughs> These guys have got agendas, they've got lives, they've got everything going on. They're looking this way, right? And all of a sudden, Jesus comes to them and says, follow me. He says, turn this way. And what do they do? So what is it called, biblically speaking, when you're going this direction and God calls you and you turn and go another direction? Does anyone know what that's called? Repent. Repent. Some of you just checked out because you grew up in angry repent church, didn't you? Yeah. The pastor would say, repent, and then he'd hit you with the Bible. Bah! Right? I mean, we made it a dirty word. We made it an angry word. Repent. Bah, bah, bah. That's not life. Repent is a beautiful word. Repent is I'm going this direction, and Jesus calls, and I change my direction, and I go towards him so that I might have life. It's not so, oh, I can't fish anymore. No, you can still fish. Believe me, he would never ask anyone to give that up. <laughs> you can still fish. But it's like turning from what you're doing and turning towards him, doing something different and better. That's what it means to repent. I love the analogy in, in our book, our uh, Multiply book, where they set it up like, imagine you're in your home. Some of you have imagined this. And there's an army coming towards your house. And there's a new kingdom coming, right? Imagine, imagine this. And you've got to decide, the army is far more powerful than you. And you have to decide, will I fight this army or will I bow down and worship a new king? That's what's going on in, in our lives. Jesus Christ is leading the kingdom to your house, to your world. Thy kingdom is coming, and it is an army, and it is far more powerful than anything you can ever imagine. And you will have a choice to make in life. You can bow down and worship this new king, or you can fight him. One of those will lead to death. The other one will lead to life. To repent is to turn and bow to the new king. Man, I love this next verse. If you guys have a Bible with you, this would be a great time to open it, or maybe your phone, or just bookmark this one, or take a picture of the screen or whatever. But Ephesians 2 is so good on so many levels. Check this out. Ephesians, I'm going to read the whole chapter, I think. Ephesians 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. 
And by the way, when he says, as for you, he's talking to everyone, all of us. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, true, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Okay, so we're going this way. We're satisfying our flesh. We're doing our own thing. Basically, biblically, we were dead. We're following the kingdom of this world. We're doing whatever we want. And then there's a pivot that happens. There's a a repent in verse 4. It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even while we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness of Christ Jesus. Listen, guys, memorize this verse. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Who's the hero of that passage? God, who's doing all the work? God, he's doing the work. And he's doing everything. God, while we were dead in our transgressions, while I was an enemy of God, and to not be with him is to be an enemy of God. And while I was an enemy of God, he died on the cross so that I might have the chance to spend life with him. He's doing all of the work. The reason you know you need God isn't because you're so much smarter than everyone else. It's because God has made you aware of the need for God. It's grace upon grace upon grace. It's God who gives you the ability and the desire to love God. And what does he want you to do? Repent and follow him. Turn from what you're doing and follow him. And some of those follows are pretty easy, right? I mean, I remember when God, when God first, like, I don't know, when I first really started listening to his voice, and the first time he told me to follow him was like, believe that your life is not that good. And I was like, okay, I'm in Shelby County Jail. Um, it, this doesn't take a, I mean, yeah, no, you got me. <laughs> okay, I'll follow you, especially if it leads to the exit. <laughs> right? <laughs> not really. Or even a better meal. But like following him at that point wasn't that hard. And then he said, all right, now follow me and believe that I am God. And I was like, you got me. I follow you. I believe that. Then it was like, follow me and go to church. I was like, okay, I can go to church. Good music. And then he was like, all right, now, now I want you to follow me in your relationships. And I was like, hey, listen, you and I have been cool. And now you're getting in my business. And then, and then he said, follow me with your finances. And I was like, this is not going to work like this between us. And then one day he said, now follow me with what you do when you're alone and no one's looking. And I was like, I'm going back to Shelby County. (laughs) Because this is really getting intrusive, right? Isn't that what he does? It's follow me. And, and, And I think I'm losing something, but really he's giving me something. He's giving me freedom and he's giving me life. And he's giving me meaning and he's giving me purpose. And all these areas where I think I can't do that, the minute I will follow him, empowered by his spirit. It's like I'm just, fun. there is a point in your life with Christ where you are white knuckling it, right? We've all been there. If you hadn't, you're lying. 
But that doesn't last forever, does it? It's like he begins to change things. He begins to change the very desires of my heart. And I remember... I remember when God first told me to follow him. I remember it. It was like I had grown up in church and around God my entire life, but I really didn't know him. I really hadn't given my life to him. And don't be too impressed. That's not that hard to do. Like it's real easy to go to church your entire life and never really give God anything. You just show up, sing a song, you go about your business, do whatever you want. It's not that hard. But I remember, remember the day God said, no, follow me. I've been married uh, to not another lady, not, not my wife now, Chrissy, but been married to another lady, and we've been married for 11 months. And uh, after 11 months, she decided that, that she wanted to leave me, and, and I blame her. I blamed her completely at the time, but looking back, it's probably a good choice because I wasn't a great husband. Uh, and so she left me. And so I'm the first one in my family to go through divorce. Not only am I the first one in my family to go through divorce, I'm the first one in my family to be incarcerated multiple times. So you got that going too. I'm the first one in my family to have a lot of embarrassing problems that my, you know, and so I remember as she's leaving me, God is calling me and God is speaking to me in ways he never has before. And you know what he's not saying? Everything's going to be okay. What he's saying to me is, I want you to feel the full weight of everything of who you are. And so in, in my life, in my dark hour, when I'm dealing with all of this junk, God isn't coddling me. He's going, all right, Tommy, embrace the sin in your life. Acknowledge the sin in your life. Admit who you are. And I had to deal with the truth of who I had become. The first thing God did for me was make me aware that I am my problem. And as I did that, as, as God was revealing that in me, he said, now repent, now turn. So I began to turn. Slowly sometimes, right? Y'all know men turn like a battleship. Women, y'all like a jet ski. <laughs> men are more like. I begin to turn. And I begin to go. And, and, and as I'm turning and going, we're going to talk about this over the next 11 weeks, I realized I couldn't do it on my own. So I found someone who had the life I wanted, my brother Jeff. And I began to look at his life and say, that's what I wanted. I want that. Why, why don't you have the conscience I have? Why don't you have the guilt I have? Why are you, why are you so happy when you're not even that cool? You know, like. Couldn't figure it out. You don't even get invited to parties and you love life. I couldn't figure it out. But Jeff had something that I wanted. And so I began to go to him and I found out later that God had been working on Jeff's heart, preparing my brother to disciple me. He had been praying for years that I would not find joy until I found Christ. And that's rude. <laughs> but I understood that God was preparing. You cannot do this on your own, guys. And I needed somebody. And so he began to walk with me and encourage me and correct me. And there was a day when I walked in and told him everything. Yeah. He was like, yeah, okay. Man, I never forget this. I don't know, I've probably shared this with you before, but he said, you're forgiven. Go and sin no more. God, that felt good. My soul needed that so bad. My soul needed that. That someone would disciple me and love me and transform me, and be, and be part of God working in my life, and, and, and God is moving me, and, and there's still things in me that he's working through. It's a process. Take up your cross daily, and follow means daily. It's a daily decision. I didn't make one prayer one time, and then everything was all right for me. I'm not saying, God and I may have been all right, but I was still in a broken world with broken problems, and daily I'm making decisions, and, and God is changing the desires of my heart so much to the point that he's brought me here, and he allows me to pastor. And I still have no idea what I'm doing. 
I laugh in staff meetings all the time because I'm like, none of us really know what we're doing here. Let's just wing it and figure it out. And it's hard. But God is doing something. And, and some of you are sitting there going, great, you're a pastor. That's your story. I want you to go find the disciple that called himself a pastor. Because I don't think this story is just for pastors. And I think too often we use our occupation as an excuse to avoid our true calling. You can do whatever you're doing and live as a disciple. But the experience that I had, something similar like that should be happening in your life. And so over the next 11 weeks, we're going to walk towards something together. We're going to walk towards something deep. Maybe a little scary. We're going to walk towards something where we become a church where people don't come in here demanding that they get what they want, but that people come in here prepared to give all they've got. We're going to walk towards being a place. Guys, and we're moving in this direction anyway. I've seen it, and so have you if you've been here for a while. We're going to walk towards a place where we're living out the things we sing in this room. We're going to walk towards a place where, where every single one of us embraces a calling to do something greater than you've ever known, something beyond yourself. We hide behind this excuse, oh, I can't be Jesus. You can't be. You're right. Neither can I. But Jesus the Christ said to people like me and you, you will do greater things than I will do. And either you believe that or you don't. And it's time that we embrace this and we believe this. There's a calling on this house. There's a calling on the church. We're no greater than anybody else, but we're going to live it out. So for those of you who will take this journey, it won't be easy. But it will be good. And on the other side is something better. Amen.